Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, I am bringing you part three of the Tailored Nutrition Method. Today, I am bringing you part three of the Tailored Nutrition Method podcast series. This is episode three of probably four or five parts. I was going to try to boil it down into three, um, and this one might very well be kind of uh, uh, kind of capping it off or, or concluding things. However, there is more on the list of things to talk about, right? So we're not going to dive too deep into periodization. We're not going to dive too deep into goal setting. So like, should you cut or should you bulk? Like, how do you know the difference? Um, there's, there's quite a few things that we have left when considering jumping into a fitness journey. If you're going into this with a transformation mindset, uh, in place, then there's a lot more to cover, but I think today's going to be a good cap to finish this little mini series off. We're going to touch on basically quote unquote everything else. So we're going to dive into some supplements. We're going to dive into meal timing and we're going to dive into micronutrients. So vitamins and minerals and things like that, which are the, the big staples that we have left um, outside of goal setting, periodization, things like that. Um, so what I probably will do is we'll probably take a week break from this series because we have the research roundup that is going to drop next week. And then after that, we might pick this back up and start first things first with periodization. Uh, but you'll just have to wait and see. I have recorded three different podcasts on periodization. So it, it's kind of a topic that I've already beaten to death. Um, but there's always more to say. So there may be something to come. But for the most part, you you can kind of expect this to be the conclusion of this three-part series. Um, there might be follow-ups that dive into other topics. So once uh, once again, today we're going into, quote-unquote, everything else. Everything else essentially means micronutrients, nutrient timing, and supplementation. And without any further ado, let's jump into it. Today is part three of the Tailored Nutrition Method podcast series, and we are covering, quote-unquote, everything else. Everything else encompasses micronutrients, so your vitamins and minerals, hydration, fiber, things like that. It's going to encompass nutrient timing, meal timing, and frequency, and it's also going to encompass supplements. So those are the three main topics we're going to dive into today. There is a lot left on the table that we could be discussing when it comes to your fitness journey, like should you cut or should you bulk? periodization, diet breaks, refeeds, carb cycling. There's so many different things, most of which I have covered in a pretty great extent on the podcast before. So we might do a follow-up to this series where I kind of answer the common questions on those topics or whatever it may be. Uh, but for the most part, this is going to conclude the series. So this is the Tailored Nutrition Method series, part three, and we are covering everything else today. Before I jump into the podcast, I do want to give a quick shout out to our online coaching program. If you are stuck, if this Tailored Nutrition Method podcast speaks to you or opens your eyes to something maybe you're not quite doing yet or that you think you should be implementing to get the best results that you could possibly see, we highly suggest that you seek a professional's guidance on this and get the support for somebody who truly understands what you're going through and can guide you all the way through. If that is you and you want to see a massive transformation in your body, especially that 2021 is 
right on our toes. We're, we're walking into it as you listen to this podcast. Um, if you want to jump in with us, you can click the link in the description. When you click that, you will fill out a form. The form is an application form for a call. You will get texted by the coach personally to set up a call within 24 hours. That call is completely free, no strings attached, but it gives you a chance to meet the coach, for them to meet you, and for you guys to dive into your goals and exactly how we'll get you to those goals. And then from there, if coaching is a great fit, we move forward. If not, no worries. But if that's you, once again, click the link in the description. We look forward to hearing from you. And without any further ado, let's get into part four of the Tailored Nutrition Method podcast series. All right, so this section is kind of like where we fill in the rest, quote unquote. Um, but I don't want to take you to take that as a sign that it's unimportant, right? Because everything inside this section is pivotal to your success by it allowing you to better adhere to the two foundational things inside of nutrition that allow body composition changes to happen, which are calories and macros. And what that means is, yes, those two things are much more important than everything I'm going to be covering in today's podcast. However, if we ignore everything that I cover in the podcast today, adhering to your calories and macros will be more difficult. Staying healthy while hitting those calories and macros will be more difficult. Digestion will be more difficult. So although it doesn't give you an immediate ROI like dropping into a calorie deficit does, these things play dividends they pay dividends in the long run to add up to the results that you're going to see. Um, I've referenced the muscle and strength pyramids probably a million times inside my content on my Instagram, my podcast, my videos, um, because the creator of that method literally changed my ideology of nutrition four years ago when uh, he first started putting out his YouTube videos about the pyramids. Um, it crushed all fads, tricks, and gimmicks while laying down the groundwork of how nutrition will actually create success. Um, and that's been my goal with this as well as the rest of my content I produce. I, I want to help lay the foundation for people because people like Eric Helms who created the muscle and strength pyramids helped lay the foundation for me. Those people creating that free content back in the day. And I can think of a bunch between Alan Aragon, Elaine Norton, Eric Helms, all the guys from 3DMJ, really Christian Thibodeau, John Russin, like a bunch of people that I've known over the years. And I've learned from John Meadows. These people really, really changed the way I saw things and they motivated me to start creating content to help you. Um, but back to the pyramid inside of that pyramid, the order of, uh, of how he, he organizes things is pretty simple. Calories, macros, micros, nutrient timing, and then supplements. Um, in my own personal hierarchy, I kind of tweak things around a little bit. So I definitely, uh, I add, um, metrics in there. So I add adherence and metrics before any of that, because I think, if you can't adhere, then it's pointless. If you're not tracking, then you don't know it's working. So I think those things are kind of foundations that come before even worrying about calories because without those things, then the calories don't do much for you and they're not going to really lead to anything. Um, but I also chopped the pyramid in half and I categorized things together, right? So I actually put micronutrients, nutrient timing, and supplements all in the same category versus them being one more important than the other. Um, and the reason I do that is pretty simple. I think that everyone is an individual and completely different in their lifestyle, their psychology, and their physiology. Because of this, the adherence level of each person is completely different and will be affected completely different as well. For some, meal timing has no importance at all. For others, it is what allows them to have a routine and create success with consistency inside those macros. For some, focusing too much on micronutrients creates rigid, uh, like rigid tendencies and lack of diversity in their nutrients. For others, avoiding the thoughts of micronutrients allows them to be less stressed and actually have more flexible approach, um, which studies have shown to allow more diversity inside the foods they consume and helps with micronutrient intake. 
Um, but my main point here is that there is no one thing that's more important or valuable than the other. Calories and macros, like, yeah, they take the rain because without them in place, your body composition will not change. But the rest, it can all be lumped together in a single, simple, and brief section to help kind of keep stress low, uh, but also individualize the approach to you. Um, so diving into these, these different categories, we'll start with micronutrients. And, and um, to define what my, a micronutrient is, is a chemical element or substance in trace amounts for the normal growth and development of living organism. This essentially means the smallest form, uh, form nutrients that living things actually need in order to survive, grow, and develop from day one. Uh, these are your vitamins and minerals, which are needed in order to survive as a human organism. Things that allow us to have healthy organs, skin, hair, nails, eyesight, development of our central nervous system, um, provide tendon and ligament support, a ton of stuff. Micros are pretty damn important. Um, however, it, it's much more simple than you and many other people make it out to believe. In fact, in my experience, if you just fill 80 to 90% of your diet with whole foods, you will sufficiently support your body with enough micronutrients and will actually rarely ever need any supplementation variations of any of them as, as far as taking extra vitamins. But there's a few things we need to make sure you understand in order to actually achieve that. Um, and a lot of it is defining what these different vitamins and minerals are so you can be aware and go uh, from there in order to incorporate to your diet. So the first one is minerals. There are two types of minerals that we consume on a regular basis. These include macro minerals, which our body needs in bigger doses, obviously, and trace minerals, which our body needs in smaller doses, obviously. The macro minerals include potassium, calcium, phosphorus, sulfur, sodium, chlorine, and magnesium. Most of them are electrolytes, which directly link to our fluid intake. And if we don't have a balance with these, then hydration, recovery, and performance can become problematic. The trace minerals include iron, copper, iodine, selenium, zinc. Uh, I'm, I'm always butcher this one. Molly, molybdenum. I'll never get that right. Google that for me and, and tell me if you can get that. And uh, cobalt. There are more, but these are kind of like the key ones to remember and the ones that are in most literature and, and the most focus for, for vitamin and mineral discussions. But even though these are needed in much smaller quantities, they are just as important to get in your diet as the macro minerals are. Vitamins come in two different types, just like the minerals do, but it's related to how they are absorbed and utilized in the body. We have fat-soluble and we have water-soluble vitamins. Fat-soluble vitamins are absorbed and utilized with the assistance of fat through the small intestine and tend to stay in the body much longer than water-soluble vitamins, as you can imagine, because water kind of flushes right through you. These include vitamins A, D, E, and K. It's important to remember the fat-soluble part of them because if you take a vitamin D capsule, for example, with a meal containing zero fat in it, it's far less likely that you'll absorb that vitamin D capsule. In addition to food, uh, fat consumption, they're also depleted the leaner we get because the less fat we have on our body, the less likely our body will be to store adequate levels of these vitamins, uh, meaning they become much more uh, important to pay attention to in a diet or supplement with as you achieve aesthetic levels of leanness. So as you get leaner and leaner and leaner during your fat loss phase, these fat-soluble vitamins become more important to watch out for because you are depleting them slowly. Water-soluble vitamins, as you probably imagine, are absorbed with the assistance of water. 
Water-soluble vitamins include vitamin B in all eight forms because there's eight forms of vitamin D and vitamin C. Just like the fat-soluble vitamins, um, athletic individuals can easily become deficient in these vitamins because they are constantly sweating during training, and many of them drink more than the average amount of water, probably you as well listening to this, which helps flush the vitamins right out of their system. Um, With the increased stress on the immune system from training, it's important to supplement with these or target foods high in these micronutrients, uh, which is probably more ideal so that you do not become deficient in any of these as you are training harder and harder. There are also some micronutrients that are commonly low in athletes, bodybuilders, and highly physical, uh, high physical activity individuals. This is likely due to the physical activity causing depletion, like I said above, as well as the restrictive nature of many physique conscious individuals' diets. So I think the combination of sweating a lot, drinking a lot, therefore peeing a lot, and also getting leaner and leaner over time and going into a calorie deficit leads to these things being more deficient than most. And they have studies to show that in athletic populations, these vitamins are the ones to look out for most because they are they tend to have a negative implication um, and, and tend to be uh, more likely to become deficient in them. First one is zinc. Uh, the deficiency of zinc can lead to negative metabolism effects uh, and hormonal and testosterone effects. Uh, deficiency of iron can lead to a negative strength impact. Deficiency of calcium can lead to negative bone health. Uh, Deficient omega-3s, which is technically a fat. It's not really a macro or a micro, but I wanted to put it in here because deficiency can lead to negative hormonal, neurological, and joint uh, impacts, which are pretty, it's a pretty important one. And it's, to me, it's a sub-nutrient of fat. So it's like fat has calories. Omega-3s don't really have calories, but it's a type of fat. You know, so I, I, but I do like to put that into the micronutrients. It just tends to make the most sense to me. Um, Vitamin D deficiency can lead to a negative hormonal impact. And the last one is magnesium, which the deficiency of magnesium can lead to negative impacts on the nervous system, uh, as well as muscle recovery, hydration, and uh, cramps. So that's kind of encompassing the the micronutrients, um, but I want to kind of give you like a, a simple breakdown in order to make sure that you're hitting all your bases. Because as we know, you know, looking at everything I just talked about, micronutrients are pretty damn important, right? They're not everything, and you can definitely get body composition results without focusing on them. However, it's probably going to be better for you to focus on them because that's going to lead to more positive results. It's going to lead to better health, and when you have better health, it's easier to stay in a calorie deficit for longer, which is going to help you reach your goals. Right, But if you do these four or five simple things, you can hit all your micronutrient needs, your vitamins and minerals, and you can stay healthy while accomplishing a diet Um, until you get to a really, really lean place. Once you get to a really, really, really lean place, I don't care how many vitamins and minerals you're consuming through the diet, you're going to be in an unhealthy place, especially hormonally and physiologically. But number one, water intake. Make sure you're getting um, ideally two-thirds of your body weight in fluid ounces is, is a good rough estimate. Um, most people can just aim for like two to three liters, but what I would do is take your body weight, go two thirds of that in fluid ounces to get pure water intake. Um, if you're, you know, technically, you know, things like soda or rock stars or coffee, they do add to your hydration level. So they don't dehydrate you as much as people thought. They did a study that showed coffee versus coffee and water. I'm sorry, water versus coffee and water. And the coffee and water was just as hydrated and not any more dehydrated than the just water group, which kind of tells us that it doesn't matter. But I always like to err on the safe side and say, okay, two-thirds of your body weight in pure water per day in fluid ounces. 
uh, one to three servings of fruit per day to hit your micronutrient needs from fruit, two to four servings of vegetables per day, and, and usually a serving is a cup or a handful. Handful is best because it's custom to you. And then uh, 80 to 90 percent, or the 90-10 rule, you could say, or 80-20 rule, percentage of your uh, foods that are, your, that are building up to your calories are whole foods. So literally just thinking, what I'm eating right now, did it roam on the earth? Did it fly over the earth? Did it swim on the earth? Or did it grow on the earth? And basically what that is, is any animal sources or plants, right? And it's kind of like a paleo approach. Um, however, I would say too, like, you know, grains and things like that, they do come from the the ground as well. They do come from the earth. So those are fine. Then, And I don't think you should demonize or take out anything or go paleo for that matter. But point being is that um, 80 to 90% of your diet should be whole foods. Right. If you do that, you're going to hit your fruit bases, you're going to hit your omega-3 base, you're going to hit your fiber, you're going to get your greens, you're going to get everything you need, digestion is going to be good, and usually that 10 to 20% left, you've kind of checked off all these these flexible dieting check boxes, and now you have a little bit of room to go, okay, now I'm going to have Ben and Jerry's, now I'm going to have pizza, now I'm going to have a beer, whatever it may be. Um, next is fiber. Fiber is technically not a micronutrient, but again, like omega-3s, I think it's important to throw it into this this category. Um, fiber is pretty important for proper digestion, obviously, um, but also healthy cholesterol levels and appetite regulation during a diet because it helps adherence by improving or increasing satiety. Um, a healthy intake for daily fiber is generally 20 grams for an average sized female and 25 grams for an average sized male. Um, another easy way to calculate it would be to give yourself 10 to 15 grams of fiber per 1000 calories. So on a 2000 calorie diet, you're looking at 20 to 30 grams of fiber, um, I always err on the higher side of things um, because this is very general and you have to play with it, right? But for example, some individuals can consume over this without any issues, going upwards of 40 or 50 without any added bloat, digest, stress, or gas, even sometimes 60. Others reach 40 and experience more bloat, gas, and digestive stress, sometimes even constipation, which is the opposite of what you think fiber does. Um, it's highly individual, but in general, I do not see any reason to go over that 45 to 50 gram mark for most people uh, per day. Just because just about anybody is gonna uh, is usually gonna experience more issues than not when they reach that sixty plus grams of fiber per day. Um, fiber can be found in many low, lower glycemic carbohydrates. Part of the reason why they are lower glycemic in nature is because of the fiber count. Uh, also in fruits, vegetables, some fat sources, and of course through supplementation. While consuming a high fiber diet, which is recommended during any type of fat loss diet. It's important to consume enough water as well because without enough water, fiber will have the opposite effect um, we're striving for and actually cause blockage and constipation. Fiber works with water by absorbing it in the gut, creating more bulk with the food and helping you pass things through the system. So you can have the perfect macro split and the perfect amount of fiber, but if you don't drink enough water, it's not going to be doing what you want it to do. And therefore, again, your macros aren't working for you like you planned them to be. Next, we're going to talk about meal composition, which is just what it sounds like. It's the composition of each meal you consume, but specifically talking about macronutrients here. In other words, how are we balancing out our meals and our macros across those meals? Um, I've spoken about this many times inside all of my content and, and during nutrition seminars as well. I'm not a fan of snacking, right? I believe it's a bad habit for anyone looking to achieve impressive fat loss results. Does this mean you can never have a snack? Not at all. But in your day-to-day -day diet, the nutrition plan you are following 99% of the time, you should ha strive for a balanced feedings, even if they are small enough, quote-unquote, to consider more of a snack. Usually snacks imply that we're just 
eating one macronutrient by itself, which is why I don't like them. It's usually some nuts, which are just fats, or it's a piece of fruit, which is just carbs, or maybe even a piece of toast in the morning, which again is just carbs, maybe some fat if you put some butter on it. But this will likely lead to it being more difficult to meet your daily macro totals. It's not as beneficial for muscle protein synthesis either, and and you'll likely need to uh, you'll likely get more hunger and cravings uh, kicking in shortly after the snack is consumed because you don't have a full balanced meal. But if we treat each feeding like a balanced meal, we can strive for protein, fats, and carbs to be consumed in basically every meal. Uh, sometimes there will be less carbs and sometimes there will be less fats, obviously, but almost always there should be a, a adequate protein. This is going to help with satiety throughout the day, blunt hunger and cravings post-feeding, increase muscle protein synthesis for better recovery and growth, and will make it much easier to hit your macros by the end of the day, which is really, really important to think about. Um, but in starting a nutrition plan, I'd usually advise splitting up your macros evenly across four to five meals, right? Three is fine. So is six. Don't major in the minor here. But, um, when we do this, it just makes planning much less stressful and easier to do if you step into it with a specific number that you're going to hit. Um, in my experience, four to five meals tends to work best, but, um, this is definitely going to be the best route to take when you're starting your initial plan. It's why we provide every single client that we work with, with a balanced meal plan, right? Yes, we provide macros. Yes, we do all that stuff, but we break those macros into specific amount of meals that works for their lifestyle, their schedule, their choices, um, and their goals, right? Uh, but as you become more advanced in your dieting, uh, in general, you can begin to distribute the ratios a bit differently by taking fats away from your workout window and adding carbs or prioritizing more carbs in one part of the day and fats in the other. So you can also increase protein amount or change the type, uh, like to casein, for example, at your pre-bed meal to improve protein synthesis overnight by slowing it down. But the big takeaway here is that you should be striving for balance first, then specificity later, which leads us into uh, feeding frequency and nutrient timing. Um, This is where a lot of people do get confused, or as I mentioned before, they kind of major in the minor. But the truth about feeding frequency, how many meals you eat per day, is that it matters about half as much as you once believed, maybe even less than half. For a long time, it was believed that the the meals you eat in a given day determines your metabolic rate. And as we all know, a fast metabolism allows for faster fat loss and a longer lifespan. They believe this because there is a metabolic response to a meal, meaning your metabolism does rise from food and you do burn calories through thermic effective feeding when consuming calories. But this belief has been disproved many times. Um, And now we know our metabolic rate has far less to do with how many meals per day we eat and far more to do with our total caloric intake. Uh, but also our activity level and types of activity being done. Are we training? Is it cardio? Is it neat? Our gender and our age, partially uncontrollable, but partially lifestyle and habitual. Our current muscle mass, because muscle tissue is energy taxing. Our sleep schedule, rest and recovery. Uh, our neat, like I said before, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Uh, par- partially why age matters, this drops with age usually. You get more responsibilities, you work longer hours, you're moving less and less. And so when you say your metabolism slowing down because of your age, quote unquote, yes, part of that might have something to do with the thyroid stimulating hormones slowing down, but it also has something to do with your general need going down, which is in your control, which is the good thing. Um, and then last but not least, uh, our specific hormone prop profile, just like I said before, like thyroid, for example, um, we need to be, have that in, in the rest of our physiological, uh, hormones to be healthy in order for our metabolism to be good. But as you can see, like nowhere in there did I say meals per day, right? You may have heard the saying, you need to stroke your metabolic fire with more meals. 
this basically meant that there, the more often you ate, the more you were stroking the fire, quote-unquote. And in turn, you were cons- constantly boosting your metabolism. Theoretically, it does make sense. And when we look at the leanest individuals in the world, when this term was created, we can see why they believe this. The, the guys in the 80s and 90s bodybuilding world were eating massive amounts of calories. And because of it, were able to build muscle and burn calories, fat, stored fat, when eating these high amounts of calories, they needed to consume six to seven meals per day because if they only ate three, they couldn't eat enough in order to reach their caloric intake for the day without likely causing extreme digestive stress and discomfort. Then the issue became that people were taking this advice yet were in a different shoes. A 300-pound bodybuilder is in a different place than a 150-pound female, right? Therefore, as he may have needed to eat six meals, she may have gotten away with three and it been a better situation. But the big takeaway is simple. It's highly individual and it needs to be altered to fit your personal lifestyle, your schedule, and your training. That's what's going to lead to the best adherence, which is going to lead to consistency and that's going to lead to real results. We also just need to be sure that we are training uh, properly, not overdoing cardio, eating enough food, keeping sleep adequate, and generally moving enough throughout the day. All of that will lead to a faster metabolism and less body fat. So most people would ask at this point, does it even matter at all? Does nutrient timing even matter at all? And I would, I would never say never. But what matters most is having an individualized system around your feeding frequency and letting your body adapt to it so it gets used to the amounts of meals you consume each day. And if we want to bring science into this, studies have actually shown that inconsistency with meal timing and frequencies, which would be changing up when and how often you eat regularly day to day, can actually decrease energy expenditure and insulin sensitivity. Now, obviously at times it will need to change, but as often as we can, I suggest you make a plan and you stick to it. Your body and your results will thank you. So in conclusion, I would say that for 75% of people out there looking to just cut some belly fat or lose weight, the exact frequency doesn't matter. However, it does pay off to split up your meals uh, into a specific pattern for better adherence and consistency and then staying to that consistently, right? And then the 25% that I, I would say doesn't matter are the people that haven't even begun to diet whatsoever. Those individuals, you should be focusing more so on just eating real food and getting into a calorie deficit. Once you accomplish that, then you should split up your meals into a way that you can repeat. doesn't matter if it's three, four, five, six, just re- it has to be repeatable, right? And then there's also something to say about advanced individuals who want to look into something more like chrononutrition, which is actually showing an increase of daily energy expenditure and a higher maintenance met- metabolic intake uh, based on chrononutrition, which is timing your nutrients a certain way. It's, it's putting the majority of your calories in the morning um, with less calories at night. Um, okay, next, pre-workout nutrition. Studies have shown us over time that there is a lot of mixed evidence in the literature in regards to nutrient timing for training. But at the end of the day, it's, it's again, it's all individual uh, and it's all individually based, right? Some people thrive on having carbs pre-workout and, and others seem to crash. So what is it? Is it a neurotransmitter response that causes the crash or the high, which would be like kind of like bouncing dopamine and serotonin levels? Is it insulin spiking, blunting the cortisol response and calming someone down pre-training? Is it the elevation of blood glucose that leads to better training? Like all these things, it could be yes or it could be no to all of those questions. It's hard to say. And again, it's highly individual. So test things out and see what works best for you. 
That being said, there are some key points that I would like to touch on because we do have proof that certain things are important. And we also have decades of experience from many top athletes and strength coaches to show that certain things do work better than others. The first thing is protein, right? This is one thing we do know. We should be taking in some form of protein one to three hours prior to training. And the closer you are to training, the more easily digestible that protein source should be. This is essentially what made whey protein shakes and powders so popular because it was a quick fix. Uh, it was a quick and simple fix to help people get the protein they needed in without disturbing digestion too much, if at all. It made it super convenient and quick to digest and absorb. But regardless of the source of protein, you just need to get it in. One of the most important things to consider are that your protein sources are coming from something that is leucine-rich, uh, which is a very important amino acid for muscle protein synthesis, um, and that it agrees with your gut, of course, because you cannot focus on training if you're focusing on digestion. Like Your body will send blood to the gut to do the work to digest instead of the muscles to do the work to train. Uh, plus, let's be real, like you can't squat heavy with bubble guts, so don't do that to yourself. Big key takeaway there is protein prior to training allows your body to have the right amino acids in store to avoid excessive breakdown and aid proper recovery. We want your body to work hard and use the right fuel source for training while being ahead of the game with recovering. So whether your goal is performance, strength, muscle mass, fat loss, or just general health and longevity, this 100% applies to you. Next, we have to talk about carbs, right? This is completely independent on the individual's personal fuel source preference, which many people actually do not know. Um, so in most cases, we'll test this out to see where they're at. Try training with a protein and fat-based meal and then wait, uh, you know, a week and then try training with a protein and carb-based meal. Then take notes and determine which feels best. As simple as that sounds, it really is the best way to go about it. You can also look at your typical dieting history, but uh, for the most part, I think you should just test it out. But but again, look, what do you tend to go to naturally, right? Carbs or fats? Um and that might tell you a lot about your body's cravings and what it thrives on, but it may not be enough, to be honest, because in many cases, you can alter what your body uses as fuel by choosing and letting your body adapt. This is called metabolic flexibility, and it's the idea that your body will adapt to whatever fuel you're providing it mostly, right? So if you are on a higher fat, lower carb diet, your body will start to prioritize fat as fuel um, and vice versa. But what, what do we know about this, right? We do know that carbs are the primary fuel source for the body when it comes to intense training, and fats are the primary fuel source for low-intensity training. Therefore, in my experience, usually carbs win, almost always. That being said, we need to understand that the breakdown, digestion, and absorptions of carbs does not happen immediately, neither does it with protein. If you consume some fast-acting carbohydrates pre-training, you will spike blood glucose, and that will allow some immediate fuel and for a better pump in the gym. Uh, because your body will bring hydration to the muscle. But from an entire training session point of view, it's much more important to prioritize daily carb intake for better performance. This is mainly because our body has to go through processes um, of taking in the carb, breaking down the glucose, and transitioning and storing that glucose as muscle glycogen and some for liver glycogen. This process can take a little bit of time. So when, when so like what you eat tonight is likely what your fuel will be tomorrow morning, right? If you train at night, then the morning meals do become more important. But the big takeaway here is anything will work, right? The key is you need some kind of fuel. Food is fuel and fuel is what allows your body to not only survive, but thrive and function at an optimal level. But in most cases, carbs tend to be the choice. And just like protein, you should consume some one to three hours prior to training uh, for better pumps and immediate energy while focusing on your daily intake the 14 to 24 hours prior to the majority of your uh, the of your training, 
um, just to tap out and fill up your energy stores, your, your glycogen stores. Carbs have slow digesting sources and fast digesting sources too. So it's important to match the timing to the digestion rate, right? Like if it's a carb source with more fiber, protein, fat in it, push it out a bit further. It's, it's something that is pure starch, like white rice, then it can be much closer to training and it actually may help your energy levels for that session, right? An example is my pre-workout meal usually comes like three-ish hours before training, but it's because it always has some fiber in it, it usually has vegetables, has uh, mixed protein. So it's going to slow the digestion down, right? Quite a bit. Um, all right. Last but not least on the nutrient timing or the pre-workout stuff, uh, fats, right? Fats don't play a massive role inside of training nutrition, nutrient timing uh, or peri-workout nutrition, but they do play a role and are worth mentioning, right? Many will tell you to not eat carbs, uh, and fats together, I disagree with this completely. Unless you are eating excessive amounts together and they are coming from ma- like majorly processed sources, like highly uh, palatable foods, you're going to be totally fine to combining them. This advice started because many highly palatable foods and highly refined foods are unhealthy foods, and they are a combination of of good or I'm sorry, bad carbs and bad fats. But that doesn't mean adding fats and carbs together is a bad idea. It just means we need to be logical with our dieting strategy and our food choices. In most cases, a little bit of fat is actually really beneficial pre-workout. A couple of reasons here. First is because we need fats in our diet. So why wouldn't we add a bit into each meal, right? If we save them for all for a later meal, we will likely have acid reflux, gallbladder stress, digestive issues, cause poor nutrient partitioning, Um, but if it fits your macros, are you okay? In theory, yes, but it's not always the case. The second reason is because fats slow digestion down, keeping insulin levels steady and actually allowing the carb and protein intake that you consume to be spread out for a much more even and long-lasting energy. This can also be helpful uh, for those who experience hypoglycemia when consuming all carbs and no fats pre-training. This tends to be how I feel, and I absolutely hate the feeling of hypoglycemia in the middle of a training session, um, which if, if anybody has experienced that drop in blood sugar, it's just miserable, and you feel shaky, and it's just, it's just not fun. Um, but the big key point here is fat is more important on a daily intake spectrum, but you don't need to completely leave it out when considering your pre and post workout meals. So my general recommendations, protein is going to be 25 to 50 grams, one to three hours prior, depending on your body weight. Um, if you're in a surplus and you're gaining carb timing doesn't really matter because you're going to be in a surplus and you should be eating a ton of carbs. So you're you're going to be tapped out constantly. It doesn't matter. Um, but if you're cutting, if you're in a fat loss phase or you're at maintenance and you're really trying to like focus on staying lean and improving performance, I would say 20 to 60 grams of carbs one to three hours prior is a general tool. But you can also do uh, your body weight in kilograms anywhere from 0.5 to 1 gram per kilogram of body weight. Um, and then fats, again, pretty simple, 5 to 15 grams with your meal, uh, and this would be pre-workout if you're gaining. Um, too much can slow down digestion too much, and then you're going to be churning and working too hard while you're trying to train in the gut. You're going to be working too hard. Um, and if you're in a cut, probably 5 to 10 grams. Same thing, just a little bit lesser. Now we have to cover post-workout nutrition. Um, and there's really only three debates or reasons to consider post-workout nutrition. The first being glycogen replenishment, resting, uh, restoring carbs post-training. The second being insulin sensitivity being higher, which allows for better storage of those carbohydrates. And the third being the hormonal response of consuming food post-workout. So let's tackle the first one. Because glycogen replenishment is the only one that really isn't worth worrying about much, 90% of the cases 
the personal training will not need to worry about this is the reason because glycogen storage it takes a long time to deplete that. <laughs> so um, you're just not doing that much, right? And that's not me calling you a wimp or saying that you don't train hard. It's just the facts and behind what actually causes true glycogen depletion. The truth is even some of the highest level bodybuilders really don't deplete their glycogen stores in a single training session. Extremely glycolytic training is rare to come by. Uh, it's usually really high-level CrossFit athletes, ultramarathon, or extreme endurance athletes, and people who are performing multiple high-intensity training sessions per day. Rarely bodybuilders, but I'll throw in the physique athlete who is four to six weeks out or extremely lean, doing cardio and training, and is in a calorie deficit. Anytime you're on a long-term fat loss phase, it is going to start to impact you. Uh, but when it comes to just generally building muscle or burning body fat, you won't really be in this realm at least not to the degree where you need to sprint to a sushi roll post-workout, right? Add to that, you will get full glycogen replenishment within a 24-hour period of time after your training, even on a regular or moderate, moderate carbohydrate intake. So again, you have time. You have 24 hours. You don't have to rush to a post-workout carb meal. Now, there are caveats. Um, there's times where people's cortisol levels stay elevated post-workout, and I like to blunt them down. So I do want carbs immediately post-workout because that spikes insulin. Insulin drops cortisol. Cortisol being dropped improves recovery and anabolism for them to grow and build muscle. So there are times where it's important. Um, and I would also add too, if you're not like something for people to think about is glycogen depletion isn't just about muscle glycogen. It's also about liver glycogen and livers, the liver being depleted causes serious sleep, health, nervous system, hormonal issues. So a lot of times when people feel that lethargy during a diet and stuff and you ask them like, how much fruit are you having? And they're like, I'm, I cut out fruit because it's too many carbs. And I want to save my carbs for bagels or whatever it may be. Well, the problem with that is you're depleting your liver glycogen. You deplete 50% of your liver glycogen just from sleeping. So let alone training and moving and thinking and doing everything you do throughout the day. And your liver is in charge of so many things in the body. Um, the second thing I mentioned earlier was insulin sensitivity, um, which is something I would consider, um, and in my own coaching, I do consider it, uh, in my own coaching and my own training, um, I do implement strategies around it, right? Insulin sensitivity is a term used to represent our body's ability to intake calories and carbohydrates. When we are insulin sensitive, we tend to absorb nutrients more easily into the muscle rather than storing them as body fat, which is why many enhanced athletes taking steroids, used a, uh, use a synthetic version of insulin. What studies have proven is that our insulin sensitivity becomes higher and more responsive around training, specifically resistance training and full body strength training. But this means training our muscles, uh, the more the better, allows our body to store nutrients easier. And for that exact reason, it makes sense to take advantage of this and consume a good amount of your carbohydrates around your training sessions, both pre- during and post. But for the majority of people, pre and post is all we need to worry about. Um, intra-workout nutrition during sessions is, is intra-workout is safe for extreme athletes or the individuals who are trying to maximize muscle growth. Like there is some somewhat convincing evidence that consuming liquid carbs in your workout helps blunt the cortisol response during training and prevents any catabolic processes to start. Um, in the studies, they have uh, individuals sip on an essential amino acid and highly branched cyclic dextrin, uh, carb source, intra-workout. Essential amino acids are very easily digested and when combined with highly branched cyclic dextrin, they showed to improve absorption of amino acids to skeletal muscle. And I believe that's because when we spike insulin, we also increase the uh, the flow of, um, 
aminos into the bloodstream. But this can trigger muscle protein synthesis and help mitigate the negative effects of cortisol. So in fact, this study I'm referring to literally showed cross-sectional muscle tissue growth in trainees supplementing with this combination. But again, this is saved for the people who have all the fundamentals covered and are ready to invest more time, effort, and money on anything to help them see more gains, fractional, but more, right? It's very minimal, but they do, they do see more. Hormonal responses is another thing. Are, uh, they are another reason to consider keeping a post-workout meal routine on point. When we train, there is a hormonal cascade, if you will, going on in our bodies because training is breaking homeostasis and forcing our body to adapt to serious and possibly threatening events. Sounds crazy and kind of scary, but this is good. If we adapt, we build, and if we build, our physiques change. During and after training, our body is experiencing higher levels of testosterone, growth hormone, insulin, metabolism, um, and many more positively affected hormones. But it also creates a pretty significant cortisol response because when our body is in threat, that's the hormone that allows us to spike adrenaline and fight to survive, so to speak. Although this is a positive thing during training because this may help intensity, it's also a potential negative thing because cortisol is a catabolic hormone. Catabolism is the breakdown of muscle tissue or tissue in general. But how can we take advantage of this? Right? It's pretty simple. Feed our body nutrients that will complement the positive hormones and negate the negative ones. Consuming a protein-based meal will allow you to do both of those things as long as it's within about one to three hours, so it's pretty easy to accomplish this. As for the cortisol response, it's best to consume some carbs because they will significantly spike insulin more, and insulin has an inverse relationship with cortisol where it actually will blunt the cortisol response down, um, so lowering stress. And by consuming carbs, we can control the cortisol to be um, an advantage and not really a detriment. But you only, you only need to worry about it, seriously at least, if you're training in a very intense fashion. This is why when I have a CrossFit athlete or somebody who is training at a very, very high level, especially competitively, I will have the supplement with fast-absorbing carbohydrates pretty rapidly after their workout. Then just save the rest of their food for one to three hours or more later, right? But the big key here is simple. Post-workout nutrition is similar to pre-workout nutrition. It's not as crucial if you're not a seriously high-level athlete but it may be something to look into in order to better absorb the nutrients and calories you are taking in, especially if you're at a plateau with your training um, or aesthetic results. Um, And again, just to kind of go back on some of these points, remember to just take them with a grain of salt. So things like the insulin, for example. Insulin is something to consider, but insulin sensitivity tends to be overly hyped. So yes, I did mention insulin sensitivity being something to consider and being something to focus on because uh, optimizing your nutrients around the workout is taking advantage of that insulin sensitivity window. And that's smart. You might as well. It's kind of like that 1% to 5%. Like, why not, right? But we also know that insulin and insulin sensitivity isn't nearly as important as people once thought. And if you're generally lean, your insulin sensitivity is going to be pretty good all the time anyway. So we should be striving to be lean. All right. uh, Next, when we talk about feeding windows and stuff, we have to talk about muscle protein synthesis and satiety. Um, But don't let the... the the, the fancy words confuse you. Uh, it's, it's super simple. It's not complicated. Muscle protein synthesis is the simplest form. Uh, in its simplest form is the anabolic response our body has from both training and consuming protein. When we do either of these things, our body responds by spiking muscle protein synthesis. When we get the spike of muscle protein synthesis, our body will replenish and build tissue, which is muscle. 
So for this exact reason, it's important to spike muscle protein synthesis often enough. This is going to allow you to recover faster and more efficiently, which will help you perform uh, your performance and your general ability to build new muscle tissue. But the best way to make sure you're doing this is to eat protein every three to five hours, which goes hand in hand with my recommendations of how many meals you should be eating per day, because technically you could consume three or six and still accomplish a solid level of muscle protein synthesis. My recommendation from what I've seen work best with the clients I've worked with over the years is four to five meals per day. People will often ask to you, like, what if my goal is fat loss? Like, that, I don't, I don't give a shit about muscle. I just want to lose fat. Well, keeping muscle protein synthesis elevated and training for hypertrophy are the two best-known strategies for maintaining muscle mass while being in deficit. So for that reason alone, we need to ensure that we're eating enough protein and we're eating it at the right intervals during a fat loss phase because maintaining muscle allows your body to be more of a quote-unquote metabolic furnace, right? If we want to talk about keeping your metabolism high, we want to keep on to as much muscle as possible during that diet. The other reason is satiety, right? Satiety is another really important thing to consider when we look at meal timing and nutrients per meal because if we can tweak things to increase our satiety rate, we can more easily follow a diet plan. Nothing is really uh, easy when you're hungry all the time, right? But we can add protein per meal and protein being so satiating, it will stimulate more satiety in the diet. Um, this is, I mean, the, the the important reason to, the most important reason to eat protein every meal and shoot for three to five meals per day during a diet is because protein is the most satiating nutrient of all three macronutrients. Um, it has a higher thermic effect as well, meaning it burns more calories to digest. So if you're going to have a higher protein diet and more frequent protein feedings, you're going to improve recovery, muscle tissue, and how many calories you're burning throughout the day. Um, and it will leave you much fuller. So it'll be easier to adhere to the diet. But the big key point here is that three to five meals per day containing protein in each meal, about 25 to 50 grams, depending on your body weight, uh, is going to be ideal for just about anyone who wants to be healthy, lose fat, build muscle, or just perform better. Um, This is probably the most important one, is the protein, when it comes to nutrient timing. Now, let's wrap up with supplements. Let's touch on supplements before we go. Um, But to define a supplement is something that completes or enhances something else when added to it. Um, and the big key to look at there is, is when I said it enhances something else, quote unquote, this is the, the big key because by definition, supplements are only here to help us improve the fundamentals, which are, are the, all the things we already covered so far, like the things we already have in place. Um, but there's some, there's some things that you want to be aware of when we consider taking supplements and, and diving into the supplement world. And the first one is quality and purity. Um, before we can get into what supplements actually work, we have to cover which ones you should be investing in and how to look out for things that might be wrong with them. As always, I'm going to recommend Legion. Uh, it's our sponsor of this podcast, but it's the, the supplement company I've trusted for the longest period of time. It's the one I trust for my family to use. It's the one I trust for my clients to use. Um, so if you want to go to buylegion.com slash boom, boom, you can save 20% on any of their supplements on your first order and then get double points, which leads to free supplements in the future. Um, but when we consider quality, uh, control, and purity, there's, there's four things that we want to kind of check the boxes off of. The first one is a USP label. Uh, most general vitamins and supplements may be verified from a lab study. Um, and if they have, they should have a USP label on the bottle. This is a simple and easy way to be sure that the supplement is not only legit source, but also truly contains what it claims to contain. 
Uh, Labdoor.com is another good one. It's a free website that you can visit and search products because not all do have the USP label because it's expensive and it's tedious every time you launch a new supplement. Uh, But this gives you a way to research what you are about to purchase and see what's actually inside the bottle so you can make the right decision on the brand. Um, Speaking of which, if you go to Labdoor.com and you look at the rankings, Legion is always at the top of the charts. Brand new and unknown products. Uh, This is something to look out for. When the new creatine alkaline hit the shelves, we just stayed clear of it. Why? Because they spelled creatine with a K, first of all, if you remember that product. And I don't trust any brand with misspelled labels. Um, And secondly, because it's just too new to trust. It's unfortunately easy to get into the supplement game. And because of that, we should all be very cautious. My suggestion is to trust the brands and the products that have stood the test of time. So although they've done studies on different types of creatine and some have actually proved to be effective, creatine monohydrate has always been at the top. It's the longest lasting supplements and most well studied. Keep it simple. Stick with that. The last thing is to make sure you understand what the supplement actually is. Right? There's so many people giving advice out there, including myself. Um, and there's a lot of people who don't understand the science, though. Uh, and if you don't know enough of the science, uh, you really can't give the best advice possible, not evidence-based advice as well. And if you go to your local supplement store like a GNC or something, most likely they're getting higher higher amounts of, of commission depending on the supplement. So a lot of times they're going to they're gonna suggest supplements to you that aren't actually the best supplements for you, but rather they are just what they get the most commission off of. So you got to be careful with that. I would suggest going to examine.com. It's a really trustworthy site. Our CSO is actually a writer for them, but also they have literally the most in-depth content about supplements you could possibly imagine. Uh, we also have a, a blog on our website called The Ultimate Supplement Guide where I dive into the, the most common supplements that I recommend and what they're used for and why they're effective. Uh, next we have to consider effectiveness with supplements, right? Something to touch on briefly, but, um, it, the, the actual effectiveness and results seen when taking the supplements is important, right? The reason I bring this up, which it may seem obvious, but it's because marketing hypes things up way more than what reality actually shows. So unless you're taking a, a PED, which is a performance enhancement drug or something of that caliber, do not expect to see results that will wow you overnight, Most supplements, ones that truly have benefits and are worth investing in, take patience and consistency. After weeks and weeks of taking them, you begin to perform better, recover faster, get bigger, lose more fat, become healthier, so on and so forth. But it's crazy that anyone would expect otherwise, honestly. If it worked that well and that quick, we'd all be jacked as hell right now. (laughs) Trust me, I'd be huge. Uh, You know... I have some recommended supplements I'm going to go over today uh, to kind of close out the supplement section. Um, And this list is stuff that I either personally take, I suggest to my clients, or I've done at least extensive research on in order to be able to feel comfortable recommending it to you. Um, And the list isn't very huge because we don't need supplements. But that being said, they can enhance or improve the results we see by adding already sound, uh, like adding to an already sound nutrition plan. The first one is multivitamin. Um, I I usually suggest um, multivitamins simply because (laughs) multivitamins are a good way to cover your bases, right? As you go into a diet, like I said before, you will be depleting fat and water-soluble vitamins, and it may be important to supplement with some kind of multivitamin to just keep your – it's like an insurance policy. It just keeps your bases covered, right? Um, I recommend Legion. Legion has the best multivitamin supplement on the market because – 
it is the it, it's the most complete, right? You do have to take eight capsules, which sounds crazy to a lot of people, four in the morning, four at night, but it's because it's not underdosed. Most supplement uh, companies make multivitamins that are super underdosed, and it's almost useless, right? So go with Legion on that. Um, essential fatty acids are really important. Um, of the essential fatty acids, uh, EPA and DHA um, have been shown in many studies to have the most health benefits. Uh, it's not only hormones, but also fat loss, performance, skin, hair, nails, so, like digestion, joint health, so many things, inflammation. Um, the easiest way to find out, find an abundance of EPA and DHA or, or omega-3 essential fatty acids is in fatty fish or fish oil supplements. So if you're vegan, you can take an allergy supplement, but otherwise I recommend the Legion fish oil because we know it's good. Um, but by taking this supplement, you can reduce total body inflammation, enhance mood, improve insulin sensitivity, improve muscle protein synthesis, uh, reduce disease risks, uh, possibly improve your metabolism. There's just so much. Next is vitamin D. Uh, the more sunlight you get, the better, but a lot of people don't get enough sunlight, so I always recommend vitamin D. It's going to be extremely important for neurological functions, immune function, and hormonal functions. Um, probiotics and digestive enzymes, I do recommend to some people. Um, I often recommend Balance by uh, Legion. It's something I take. I don't think it's something that I need to take, and I don't think most people need, but if somebody is experiencing bloating, digestive issues, gut stress, or they have a lot of high stress, and that high stress causes digestive stress, it might be important to take a probiotic or a digestive enzyme or a gut health supplement like Balance from Legion. Um, Caffeine has to be on the list because caffeine is one of the most well-studied supplements uh, when it comes to enhancing performance uh, and help you burn more fat. Um, but mainly caffeine is a CNS stimulant, right? So central nervous system stimulant. And when we stimulate the nervous system, we allow our body to tap into sympathetic drive, aka fight or flight. This is good when we're training because it allows us to go a bit harder than we normally do. But what also happens when we stimulate the central nervous system like that is we allow our bodies to tap into more muscle fibers on demand, so to speak. Like think of it like an activator for our muscles or a, like a key to start the ignition, which gets the engine to fire up and therefore gets the wheels turning a bit more. Um, this is the main action of caffeine that allows us to burn more fat, simply enhance performance, right? Uh, however, there is data to also show a thermogenic effect, which is likely through increased heart rate and meat. Um, anywhere between 200 milligrams, 500 milligrams, fine. Just make sure that you don't overdo it because if you're in that sympathetic driven state too often, stress levels will be too high and your adrenals will get worn out. Creatine monohydrate is next. It's uh, tried and true to help. Uh, I mean, we produce in our body, so we actually don't need it because we already have it. Um, as do animals, which is why foods like red meat are, are a great source of it. But in order to benefit above average from creatine, we need to consume more than we produce naturally and most likely get from our diet. Uh, creatine helps hydrate and replenish the muscle, making recovery a bit more optimal and faster. Um, this in turn allows us to perform better. How much better? Not that much, but enough to care. We're talking about cranking out one extra rep on a given set, uh, which over a week may actually be 50 to 100 extra reps, and that will contribute to more strength and more muscle growth. Uh, creatine also helps the ATP system actually produce more creatine, uh, or I'm sorry, better energy in, in faster energy, harder energy, more explosive energy. So it's, it's good for ATP production as well. Protein powder, I always throw out there because you should have that as a replacement just in case you can't to get to a meal. Highly brain cyclic dextrin is the uh, carb powder I suggest for somebody who does need an intro workout or immediate post-workout because um, it, it's the easiest on the gut. 
right? So um, it, it tends to uh, have the digestive clearance that's a little bit faster, so it clears the gut quicker in the intestines. So if, if somebody is doing high-intensity intervals, needs to immediately blunt cortisol after their workout, uh, they don't want ca- carbs that are going to affect their gut, immediate absorption, whatever it may be, highly branched cyclic dextrin tends to be the best. It's the most popular and one of the newer supplements in that category. That wraps it up for everything else. Um, like I said before, there's much more that we didn't get to touch on in this series, like periodization, diet breaks, refeeds, um, fat loss timelines and phases. How do you decide your goal? Should you cut? Should you bulk? There's there's just so much um, that you need to consider in your journey. And I think that's why coaching is so valuable is because you can learn about what you need. So once again, I'm going to give a shameless plug. If you are interested in coaching, if you want help with this kind of stuff from an, uh, an extremely experienced professional, head over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash online dash coaching or click the link in the description of this podcast. Jump on a call with us. It's completely free, no strings attached. And let us show you exactly how we can help you get the results you deserve. 